Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to the She Can Ball podcast. I'm your host, Mahi Jariwala. Today, we're joined by Dr. Nicole Lavoie, a senior lecturer in kinesiology and the director at the Tucker Center for Girls and Women in Sports at the University of Minnesota. How are you? I'm great, Mahi. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for coming on. So I kind of want to get into it. So I know that you played tennis, not only collegiately, but you also coached collegiately. So what has your experience with sports been like so far? Well, I would not be talking to you today if it weren't for sports. Sports has shaped every aspect of my life, personally, professionally, physically, mentally, emotionally. And I just can't say enough good things about the the role of sport in my life, like many probably that you have on this podcast. (laughs) And what was your experience, not only playing, but what was your experience with coaching? Well, I got into coaching because I loved tennis and I wanted to give back to the sport. And I was given the opportunity to start coaching in my local community in the summers And I learned that I loved it. And what I loved about tennis is not just the sport, but I loved teaching. And I loved how tennis could be a vehicle for making positive changes in people's lives. And so I just decided that coaching would be a good pathway for me post-college. And so I pursued that becoming a tennis teaching pro Um, coaching at the high school level, youth level, and then at the division three collegiate level at Wellesley College. And how was like your coaching experience? How do you think it differed when you were like kind of teaching different levels? I mean, the, the mechanics of tennis are pretty consistent, but dealing with the relational people side depends on the person. So whether you need to simplify or scale up or down, you know, my approach to coaching was you coach the individual and you have to be able to read the person and what they need and what they want and how to motivate them. So that's kind of the art and the science of coaching, which is why I loved it so much. And now you're the director at the Tucker Center for Research in Girls and Women in Sport. What inspired you to get involved with them and what inspired you to begin researching girls and women in sport? Well, when I was a coach, I loved, as I said, making a difference in the lives of young people and particularly girls and women. And so when I was at Wellesley College as the head coach at age 23, (laughs) thought I knew a lot and I certainly did not. um, I really became interested in the intersections of gender and sport. And being an all women's college, Wellesley afforded me the opportunity to interact with a lot of really great scholars in gender. Um, Not so much sport, but that was my expertise. So I got, I wanted to really make a difference in the lives of girls and women through sport, not just my one team at a time, but on a bigger scale. And so I decided to leave coaching and right about that time, the Tucker Center was opening its doors um, 28 years ago. So I did my doctorate work working with scholars in the Tucker Center, and I joked at that time that I someday when I grew up, I would love to work in the Tucker Center. And so I just followed my passion and my interest in making a difference for girls and women in and through sport, and it led me to where I am today. So when people joke that they're living the dream, (laughs) 
I actually am living my dream in, in real life. So I'm very privileged and lucky to be doing that. That's awesome. And, you know, I know you have done a lot of research, not only with Tucker Center, but with just in your whole life. So what are some of the topics that you've researched? Well, early in my career, I had many different lines of research. One was on the coach-athlete relationship. I think that came from obviously being a coach and understanding that that coach-athlete relationship is a special one, or it can be a special one. And it can lead to a lot of positive things for the people you coach, but it also impacts the coach. But nobody was talking about that this is a bi-directional relationship. So early in my career, I, I focused on the coach-athlete relationship quality. Uh, I also did a lot of work early in my career on uh, sport parent behavior <laughs> and oh. how sport parents' um, behaviors on the sideline impacts their children and not always in good ways. Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> we could talk a whole nother podcast about that, Mahi. Um, I also, when I was working at Notre Dame in the Center for Sport and Character, I had a line of research around how sport can be a vehicle for character development, moral education for athletes. And then really in the last seven to 10 years, I've tried to focus my research on women in coaching, women in sport leadership and the barriers that impede their careers. And then how can we remove those barriers and support women in coaching? So I've run the gamut of lots of different lines of research. And I also had a line of research with my colleague and founder of the Tucker Center, Mary Jo Kane, who looked at media portrayals of female athletes or the lack thereof. And we could talk about that too. So I, I went a lot of different directions in my career. <laughs> I know specifically with the media, I believe the Tucker Center created a sports documentary that actually won an Emmy about that. Now you've also co-produced in other um, sports documentaries. How was that? You know, that's one of my favorite pieces of being in the Tucker Center is we get to take the expertise and the research and the knowledge that we have and turn it into public facing um, products like the documentaries. So yes, we, we did, we have done to date three documentaries with Twin Cities Public Television, TPT Minnesota. The first one was on female athletes and concussions, which was Emmy nominated. The <laughs> second one was media coverage in female athletes, which actually won an Emmy. And then our third documentary was uh, Game On Women Can Coach, which was also Emmy nominated. And those are some of my most favorite projects I've been involved with the, at the Tucker Center because I know they people watch them and I know they make a difference. And what did you learn from those? Oh my gosh, so much. I learned about how to tell a story, how to use data to tell a story that engages people, that raises their awareness, that brings them along the journey of, of advocacy and wanting to make a difference for girls and women in sport. And we let the data tell the story and data can be very powerful. So I learned a lot about weaving a coherent narrative and I learned a lot about writing storyboards and getting good sound bites and terms like B-roll footage, which I never knew what that was. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of kind of the technical aspects of making a documentary I learned about as well. And in your research, like as a whole, did you have any surprising results from before you researched and then you actually did the research and like something just sparked. Yeah, 
One of the most surprising and maybe earliest findings in my research was a study we did with on sport parents. <laughs> Back to the sport parents. <laughs> we asked um, kids, grades five through eight, to tell us what they perceived their parents were doing on the sidelines. And then we asked the parents to self-report on what they perceived they were doing on the sidelines. And it was not even close. <laughs> so, you know, the kids, we'd ask the kids, you know, how often do your parents yell at the referee? Never, almost never, sometimes, occasionally, or all the time. And the kids would say all the time. And we asked the parents, same question, how often do you yell at the referee? Never, almost never. <laughs> and so the perceptions of the parents for parents' behavior were really disparate. And I always found that so fascinating. And like, did you have any, um, I know you also like did some on like women in media and I know that's a really mm -hmm. big deal. I think especially now, I think one of the biggest pieces that like I've known is the Tucker Center's research on that. I think they concluded that 4% of women's sports are being covered, something like that. Yeah. So there's kind of two major findings that people find surprising from our sport media research. One is that no matter what the broadcast or the whatever the medium is, broadcast media, print media, and even social media, although that's changing a little bit now, mm -hmm. is that women athletes, female athletes are given 4%, 2 to 4%, there's kind of a range, 2 to 4% of all sport media coverage. And they're 43% of all athletes. So it's disproportionate to reality. The second thing that people find interesting from our research and those of many of our colleagues as well, is that when we do see women in that two to 4%, a lot of the time they're portrayed in ways that are highly sexualized, hyper-feminine, heterosexy, and in ways that minimize their athletic competence. And um, it's really disheartening to those of us that love women's sport when we can't see the sports we love and when we do see those athletes, they're portrayed in ways that their athletic competence is not first and foremost. For sure. What do you think needs to be done for just media to, to have just more like coverage in women's sports? I hate to use the Nike slogan, but just do it. <laughs> just make the decision and the commitment of equal coverage for men and women's sport. And see what happens. For sure. I know you also did a lot of research on female coaching, and I know that there's a huge lack, especially in the basketball field of female coaches. How important is it that we have female coaches coaching women's sports and male sports? Yeah, it's really important because for lots of reasons, um, I'll, without going into a whole you know, lecture on why women coaches matter, because I actually do get this question a lot saying, well, Dr. Lavoie, you're advocating for women in coaching, so why should we care? What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that young women and girls need and want same sex, same role models, just like boys. Now, most boys get a male coach. Yeah. Some girls go their whole sport career and they never get a female coach. And that's too bad um, because same sex, same identity role models lead to higher self-perceptions. Um, 
they have the same lived experience, they can provide guidance, they're a visible role model, and they provide proof that you can succeed in that profession. And having, and there's a new study that just came out, I read it last week, that specifically female athletes love female role models in their own sport. Those are even more powerful. So, um, you know, if you're a soccer player and you see Jill Ellis coaching, that's super cool because she's coaching in your sport. Oh, yeah, I think that's amazing. I think like female coaches, especially in basketball, I've had a few female coaches and it's incredible. I just feel like this amount of like strength and resilience that you're able to learn from them. I just I don't know what it is, but it's it's incredible to learn from those people. Yeah, it shows young girls that women can and are competent leaders and role models and that they're they're good at what they do and that they can command the court and it's some you know I have female coaching role models I looked up to when I was your age and that that makes a big difference in our lives exactly I love how that's changing just this Sunday I think there was um two female referees that were refing the NFL game yeah (laughs) Yeah, so there was one female ref, Sarah Thomas, and then there were two women coaches for the Buccaneers. Yeah. And then the Chiefs had two strength coaches that were women. So we had female coaches on both sidelines of the best football teams in the U.S., American football. No, for sure. And I love, I think it's just changing. And I think I'm constantly opening my phone and I'm seeing that there's a new, like, you know, female coach that's hired. And I think that's incredible that they're starting to incorporate that. I think um, the Bucks coach was saying like, it doesn't matter who you are, what gender you are. If you know the game of football and you can teach it, we'll hire you. Absolutely. And I've said this many times in the last week, because I've given a lot of interviews on this, but the women that have been hired by NFL franchises this is not a publicity stunt. It's yeah. not a gimmick. It's not something, you know, to, to excite the fans. This is, they're hired because they're really good at what they do. And I would argue they have to be above and beyond better oh, than yeah. their male colleagues. Otherwise they would never be considered or given that opportunity. Oh yes, for sure. I think, especially in the realm of sport where it's like, you need the best pot, you need the best possible coaches to be out there to be coaching the 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 NBA players. And I think especially women are not always going to be considered there. So if you are a woman and you're doing it, but you've had to go over how some of these males coaches, if that makes Absolutely. any sense. <laughs> yeah, they have to be twice as good to get even considered for the same job. And you know, we saw that with Becky Hammond when she got hired for the Spurs um, in, in 2012, 2013. She was the only female assistant at that time, and now we have 11. So in a pretty short amount of time, you've seen sort of an explosion of women coaching in the NBA. Now, not the head coach, but in assistant roles. And, you know, hopefully in my lifetime, we will see a head female coach of a men's professional sport team. Don't quote me on that. Because I, you know, I don't want to go to my grave with saying, but you said, Dr. Lavoie, <laughs> but no. I'm hope I'm hopeful. <laughs> no, for sure. I think um, a lot of people are saying that Becky Hammond's a great coach. I think a lot of them do say that she would make a great head coach. So I hope that that Absolutely. one day does happen. Me too. I'm looking <laughs> forward to it. 
I know that you also host the Tucker Center Talks podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you've learned from that? Because I know you've got to interview some amazing guests. I do have, we do have a Tucker Center Talks podcast and I'm your host, Dr. Nicole Lavoy. <laughs> um, I'm telling you the, you, you're a much more seasoned podcaster than I am, Mahi. Um, I, you should probably tell me what you've learned from podcasting, but I've learned a lot. I've learned how to be a better public scholar, how to have conversations with people about our research, how to make it accessible. And it's just been another really fun way for us to get our work out of the ivory tower, out of academia. And I get to talk some, to some of my amazing female colleagues and scholars around the world and amplify their work and lift them up and have their work be better known around the world. So that, that's been really fun for me. Has there been like one guest that you've just really enjoyed to talk to? Oh gosh, I, I love all my guests um, because these are a lot of the women that I've interviewed to date so far on Tucker Center Talks have been women I've worked with and known and admired. Oh. So that's been pretty cool. Um, you know, I'd hate to pick favorites in that group. So I'm going to, I will say, stay no, away from that. <laughs> I'm going to stay away from that one. <laughs> I agree with you there. Um, I know you also did um, the girls in low in lower income areas and like mm -hmm. that kind of ratio to sport. So what was yeah. your, what did you conclude from that? Yeah. So we have every 10 years, the Tucker Center does a Tucker Center research report, um, developing physically active girls. And it's a multidisciplinary perspective where I invite experts in physiology and LGBT identities and underserved girls and girls with cognitive and physical disabilities. And it's a research report. It's free online at tuckercenter.org if you want to download it. But there's a lot of things that I've learned from doing that research report. One is that Girls have less opportunities to play sports and be physically active than boys due to a lot of barriers that girls face that boys do not. Um, two, as girls get older, they drop out of sport at larger rates than boys. So that's problematic because then girls do not get the access to the health and developmental benefits that you can get through sport. And that is that that decline and dropout of sport is more prevalent for underserved girls, girls of color, immigrant girls, girls with cognitive and physical disabilities. So there's a lot of trends that need to be changed around girls and in, in physical activity participation. And that report really is a nice summary of the benefits of sport, but also the barriers that girls face and what we can do as advocates for girls and women in sport to reduce those barriers and increase participation opportunities. Yeah, I know. I think there's like, I think it's 14 when a lot of girls end up dropping out of sports. And I know because my sister actually is one of those girls who uh -oh, dropped out. Oh, really? Yeah. I think it's just, it's not as like highlighted, right? And especially, and I like to do this podcast and I try to relate it around basketball because that's something I have experience with and I know what it's like because I've done it and I've seen other people that drop out, out of it. Um, I just, 
I don't think that it's just enough out there, right? People aren't talking about it enough. There's not enough like role models that we're highlighting and we're saying here, look at them, look at what they're doing. And that's why I created this podcast for girls that are interested in sports, like to stay in it. Cause I think there's so many things you can learn from sports. And I think just the idea of being part of a team and just being able to, to be passionate about something. I think one thing I love about basketball is like just finding something that you're so passionate about and like being able to do something that you love. I think it's, it's really incredible. Absolutely. And, you know, that's why I do what I do because girls who want to play and want the opportunity should be afforded the same opportunities as their male peers. And that often is not the case. And you're right at adolescence, the dropout rate for girls is dramatic and much more dramatic than it is for boys. And it's precisely at the time where girls need sports mm-hmm. to feel empowered, to be confident in their bodies and have a skill they're good at and be with their friends and be physically active. And they drop out of sports precisely at a time where they probably could really use sports. Do you, do you have a, some kind of like reasoning? Cause I feel like you would be a little bit more seasoned to make a response to this, but just, just maybe a little something of why do you think that they drop out of that rate? Well, based on the data, we know it's, it's what we call multifactorial, right? There's, <laughs> there's lots of reasons. So maybe it's because uh, her parents think that, you know, it's now time to be serious about studies and you don't have time for sports or they value sports more for boys, their sons and their daughters. For some girls, they have to take care of siblings or they have to get a job to help the family or they have to do a lot of domestic labor in the house. Uh, For other girls, it might be they just lose interest. Uh, They develop other interests. For some, they have a really bad experience with a coach that made them feel uh, not competent or bad about themselves, bad about their bodies. They were harassing them or abusive. A lot of girls drop out. Maybe it's they felt there was too much pressure to win and they just were doing it for fun. And, you know, not that wanting to win is bad, but for not all girls are highly competitive. They just want to be with their friends and run around the basketball court and have some fun. And that's okay. Um, For others, I think it's about the societal barriers of what it means to be a girl and what it means to be feminine. Mm -hmm. And that for some girls playing sports and what it means to be feminine and a girl is at odds. And they're like, well, I don't want to be perceived as being a jock or hyper-masculine or get big muscles. And so I'm going to quit. Right. And, you know, obviously these are stereotypes that are untrue. Yeah. But there are societal stereotypes about female athletes that young girls believe in, and some of them drop out because of that. So there's lots of reasons why girls drop out. <laughs> I wish there was just one easy <laughs> answer to that because then we could fix it, but mm-hmm. it's, it's complicated. I'll add one more too that a lot of people don't like to talk about, but because of gender stereotypes, um, a lot of girls drop out of sports, especially in sports that are more traditionally masculine, that are power performance sports like hockey, rugby, mm-hmm. uh, ice ho- I should say ice hockey, football, rugby, even basketball to some degree, is that the stereotype is that 
young girls or women that play these sports, um, they have to have masculine characteristics to perform well. So therefore they're all lesbians, right? Yeah. And that we know that's not true, but for some girls, they don't like, well, I don't want to be perceived as being a lesbian, so I'm going to drop out. And that's just unfortunate because, um, you know, we want sport to be a welcoming, inclusive space where everybody, regardless of their sexual identities, feels comfortable. And unfortunately, homophobia is still prevalent. And that's another reason why some girls drop out of sports. Yeah, I think that's why another reason of why I love, I think, what you guys are doing, because you guys are just kind of shedding all of those stereotypes out and saying, like, this is really what girls and women in sport is. And I think that's because I feel like when there's not enough people telling you that that's not it and this is really what it is and you what you feel right now, like that's what it is. It's not what all these other people are going to tell you or what people are going to think of you. Um, so I think that that's so important. We need more people like you that are just telling girls like, hey, it's not how it is. Yeah. You want to play, play, you know, do what you love, do what you're good at, find a level of sport that feels good for you. You don't have to be a highly competitive travel team, AAU club basketball player. <laughs> you can go out in the park and shoot baskets with your, with your friends, it, you know, just move. And, and for girls that want any aspect of sport participation, they should be afforded the opportunity to do that. Yeah. I think that's like just the, I feel like basketball and I might be a little um, biased because I, I do like <laughs> basketball, but I think that um, if you like a lot of guys, if you, I bet if you went out and you surveyed a hundred guys, I would say maybe 90% of people have at least tried it at least once, just like with their friends playing pickup or whatever. But with girls, it's not going to be the case. And I do know that even at my school and I try to like at lunch, have like a girls pickup game going on because they do like it. They just, I just feel like since not all of like their friends are doing it, it's not just as common to just go and play pickup, but I would right. just love to see that kind of change where it just like girls can just go and just like guys have just kind of meet up and at the park and, and shoot hoops. I feel like that'd be incredible. I agree. And, you know, a lot of girls don't like trying to play basketball because they have to play with the boys and the boys treat them badly or they don't pass them the ball or they say, mean or derogatory things. And, you know, nobody should have to put up with that. Um, you know, what grade are you in, Mahi? I'm a ninth grader. Ninth grade. Okay. So um, when I was in fifth grade, here's my basketball story, because I did play <laughs> basketball growing up oh. until my junior year. And then I just focused on, um, I was a point guard. And, oh. um, and then my junior year in high school, I just played tennis. But when I was your age, I was playing basketball. And when I was in fifth grade, this was just like, you know, Title IX was just starting to go. This was in 1979, which seems a long, long time ago <laughs> right now when I say that out loud. But um, they didn't have a girls team when I was in fifth grade. So they had a boys travel oh. team. And so I'm like, I'm going to play. I'm going to try out. So I tried out and I made the team. And oh. me and one other girl, Mary Beth Becker, made the team. And we displaced two boys that were on the team. And those boys' parents called the principal to complain that their boys were being denied the opportunity to play because of these girls. And so I got called to the principal's office the next day and I thought he was going to congratulate me on making the team. Yeah, and he deal. told me, 
well, young lady, I think that you should quit the team and do ballet or do the Girl Scouts. What? Yeah. And I said, well, no, I want to play basketball. So I didn't quit. But that was a tough year for me because of just what I explained. The boys didn't want me on the team. I had to change in the broom closet. They wouldn't pass me the ball. There were a lot of tears after every night when I went home, but I stayed in and um, I learned a lot. So I, I always joke that being an advocate for gender equity and in, in, for girls and women in sports started when I was 10. <laughs> and what do you think you learned? Well, it was a while ago, but (laughs) it was, yes, it was a long, long time ago now. But um, I learned that if you want to do something, you should be able to do it and not be told that you can't do it because I should step aside for a boy. Like that didn't make any sense to me. And luckily, my parents, who are educators, um, had my back and encouraged me to, to persist. So I learned that, you know, if you want to do something that you're passionate about, sometimes it isn't easy. You got to fight for it. And it's going to be hard. And there'll be some tears. And there'll be some (laughs) bruised egos. And there'll be some times where people will tell you no. But if you believe in it, then you got to persevere and believe in yourself. And I think a lot of young girls get the message that you know, they're not good enough and they don't belong and they shouldn't be there. And then they internalize that and they drop out or quit or they don't pursue their passion. And that's sad. Yeah. I know there's another YouTuber. She makes like basketball videos and, you know, I think she's like 10, 11 now, but she had like this video when she was eight and she was like, I really want to change the culture on women's basketball. And she's been working and she has like this YouTube page, this Instagram page. I love watching her. Um, and she was on a boys team. And so she kind of made a video where like she crossed the, the boy over and she made the basket and then she kind of like flexed in front of the camera and they didn't like it. So they ended up kicking her off the team because they were like, you're low, because you, they made that kid feel bad that like a girl was able to beat him and I was like are you kidding me really yeah but if a guy crossed up a girl and flexed for the camera they would just say oh well he's just being a boy yeah exactly that's such a double standard that's the kind of of stuff that makes my blood boil and is another reason why I do what I do because we shouldn't have to put up with those double standards just because we're girls and women exactly (laughs) well thank you so much for coming on I really appreciate your time I am more than happy to be your guest Mahi and I wish you a lot of um, luck and goodwill moving forward in your career I think you've got a lot of of great things ahead of you and I'll be tracking you along the way (laughs) thank you